Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Big Nickel IDP podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst at PFF. Well, we're getting closer to the start of the season, which means that drafts will be firing up more and more over the next couple of months. So there is no better time to give you, the good people, some IDP breakout candidates to target in drafts. So get ready to take them in like Joey Chestnut gobbling glizzies on America Day. Let's get it. Big one today. We got the top IDP breakout candidates for this season and joining me to help break them all down. One of my favorite IDP writers from DLF and IDP guys. The very awesome, very smart, great knower of football. Mr. Jace Abbey. Jace, what's up, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited to be on John. Uh, Big Nichols, uh, a favorite of mine, um, has been for uh, for a while now. So yeah, just pretty excited to uh, to come on here and talk about uh, IDPing with you. It's gonna be uh, gonna be pretty cool. I think breakouts as well. Um, you know, one of my favorite one of my favorite topics. I think you know, correcting correctly sort of identifying breakouts can make uh, can make a difference kind of between a, a successful season and a not quite as successful season in uh, in a fantasy. Um, I I quite often go back and look at uh, sort of retrospectively look at uh, my my fantasy roster uh, and those of uh, other people's, uh, especially the champ, if I hadn't won it myself. And, and without fail, you can always pick out two, three, maybe more guys if you've got deeper rosters who have made that that big difference, I think. Um, so yeah, um, great to be on here talking about uh, a pretty cool subject with you. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the kind words as well. And, and yeah, it, breakouts is always a fun one, right? It's kind of looking at guys that maybe haven't performed up to their their full potential yet but kind of picking this being the season uh that they start to at least get to that that range so it's always fun and and yeah we got a we got a pretty good list here i think and um yeah i mean we're gonna we're gonna try to hit uh, we're gonna try for a hundred percent success rate this year uh because <laughs> I, I feel pretty confident about about all these guys it's hard to kind of argue against them i think i mean you know there'll always be somebody that that disagrees but that that's okay we'll 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 try to sell these guys as uh as the, as we believe in them and uh we'll, we'll get into it here so um again we're, we're talking breakouts players who who we believe are going to finish significantly higher in their their yearly fantasy finish and and increase their production um and, and hopefully keep that going beyond this season as well so we got a bunch of idps across all positions we're talking linebackers edge rushers defensive tackles safeties even a couple corners so uh buckle in without further ado let's fire it up and kick things off on abbey road with jace's first breakout jace who do you got here okay yeah so i'm gonna kick it off with ernest jones you know there's been a, a lot of buzz about him uh in recent uh, in recent years even going back to last year right um when we knew he'd play sort of second fiddle to uh to bobby wagner um you know Wagner's now gone, and there's nobody standing in in Jones' way. The fact that the Rams' defensive roster is looking a bit looking a bit sparse uh, from top to bottom. Um, but yeah, I didn't know Jones played uh, 723 snaps last year behind Wagner, but used the kind of season that got us all pretty excited, finishing with uh, you know 109 combined tackles. Um, the tackling efficiency was so good. I think we'd be 
sensible to expect some regression to the mean there. Um, but even if it does, his increased snap count, I think, would absorb that drop-off. So one thing I also like about Jones, didn't make a lot of splash plays last year. You know, no sacks, one forced fumble, one interception, one pass breakup. I'd expect those numbers to to go up with the increased play time and just because uh, it's sensible to expect them to, to increase slightly. Um, one thing I'm a little unsure of is whether Jones is going to be uh, assuming that role that Wagner had as a, as a blitzer. Um, you know, Wagner had handful of blitzes, 20, 30 blitzes. Wagner had 100 plus. He was in the top five, I think, positions. So that's something to keep an eye on um, because, you know, in IDP, we don't necessarily want our linebackers blitzing all the time, but it didn't really hurt Wagner. I don't think it's really going to hurt Jones. Uh, I think he's a pretty solid choice for a breakout this year. I can't wait to see it happen. What do you think? Yeah, he, he's a fun one. He, he's probably my top guy uh, as well, just for the potential to break out this season at, at the linebacker position, at least. I mean, just one regular season so far, or one regular season game so far in his career that he's played over 90% of the team's defensive snaps. So typically playing second fiddle to somebody um, or splitting time at that top position, which we saw a little bit more in his rookie year. But yeah, with Wagner gone, I mean, the defense as a whole completely depleted, right? So there's, there's, there's nobody to really be concerned about for, um, at, to take Jones's role, he's he's kind of proven at least in his short time in the NFL and on those limited snaps to be kind of a reliable IDP. Um, even on that smaller workload, uh, he posted an 84.3 tackling grade with just a 5.2% missed tackle rate in 2022, which, like you said, let him rack up over 100 tackles on just 66% of the team's defensive snaps. Um, he was only one of three linebackers in the entire league to hit that double tr- or that triple digit tackle range um, while playing less than 70% of the team's defensive snaps. So, like you said, the efficiency at like 15% or whatever it was probably going to come down a little bit, but it helps them to be playing an every down role now. Um, and then you look at the Rams defensive scheme also has typically been one of the better defenses for linebacker tackle production um, because they play more zone coverages. And and we, like we talked about previously in this, this, uh, this podcast is that that zone coverages typically yield better tackle opportunities for the linebacker position. So, um, yeah, you look at that plus the increase in snaps, I think is going to be key for, for any breakout candidate, but for Jones specifically, I think it has the potential to kind of vault him into that maybe top 10 linebackers, uh, for the season. All right. Yeah. He's a fun one for sure. And, and another fun one we'll, we'll talk about here is, uh, Another linebacker, this one out of Las Vegas, it is Divine Diablo. So Diablo, his 2022 season, I think, was off to a really, really good start for for IDP purposes, at least. He played the lead linebacker role in the Raiders defense while averaging 87% of the defensive snaps. And he totaled 74 tackles through just a little over seven games. So uh, unfortunately, the, the, he had a season-ending arm injury. Um, so that kind of put that breakout, that true breakout season on hold, at least until now, that is. Um, the Raiders linebacker room lost Denzel Perriman this offseason, and they only added uh, Robert Spillane, who's been a career backup. So Diablo, I mean, if healthy, should not 
have an issue stepping right back into that LB one LB one role in Las Vegas. He also earned one of the better uh, totals in tackles versus expected last season, despite playing just 463 defensive snaps. So um, I think that's encouraging, uh, you know, for a guy who's been productive regardless of the defensive scheme or, or what his role is within that defense. And with the Raiders kind of being one of those um, defenses that maybe isn't as tackle friendly for the linebacker position, it, it helps to know that Diablo's ability to kind of overcome that um, that situation can can create some some solid linebacker production at least still uh, in 2023. Again, full time role expected combined with a full healthy year hopefully to start the year um it, he's in a great spot to be a reliable idp producer on a weekly basis and someone who probably isn't likely to be drafted within the top 20 fantasy linebackers he, i i like him as one of the better bets to potentially get into that range by by the time the season's over yeah yeah he's a good he's a good shout i'm a bit of a i got a bit of a soft spot for these uh you know these safety linebacker or safety converts, if you like, at linebacker, the guys that sort of fit that sort of modern mold of, you know, those fast guys that could just fly around the field, and especially if they can tackle, um, which, uh, you know, in, in Diablo's case, um, you know, he proved in his first year that he could do so, slide drop off last year maybe, but um, still, still fairly good um, for, a, for a linebacker in the NFL. I'm probably a little more worried about Spillane than you are, it sounds, Um I don't think Diablo's done enough to prove to me, at least, that he he is that guy. Um, but if he's if Diablo's shown some some uh, sort of deficiencies in coverage, then Spillane is uh, you know way behind. He's uh, he's he's pretty terrible in coverage. So um, yeah, maybe I've told myself around. <laughs> uh, I do I do like him. Like you say, he was he was uh, pretty much an every down guy until the injury. Um, so yeah. Um, Returning DC um, probably thinks the same about him as he did last year, I assume. So, and Diablo's talked, you know, uh, positively about what he spent his time doing when he was off the field last year. Uh, you know, we take some of this stuff with a pinch of salt, mm -hmm. but he's talked about how he spent that time learning, studying, uh, and so on. So, yeah, um, yeah, good, good call. Um, slight, slight concern about um, uh, uh, Spillane, but it's not, it's not a massive one. I wouldn't be surprised to see Diablo have a a career year, especially if he stays stays healthy. But the same could be true of everyone, right, on this list. If everyone could stay healthy, career years are probably coming. Yeah, for sure. And 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 that's fair for sure. I mean, Spillane, you know, he's found a way to kind of be like a thorn in the side of other linebackers uh, that we were hoping would be, you know, every down players as well, whether it was, you know, Devin Bush or Miles Jack in, in Pittsburgh, right? So we've seen him kind of get there. Um, so yeah, it just depends on how the uh coaches view him in las vegas and what they think his role might be obviously for me hoping that they they still see diablo as that that number one guy which they they deployed him in last year but absolutely anything could change if spillane does start to show out or, or diablo isn't healthy or doesn't show you know that that potential then we could easily see a change here but um definitely a fair call there for divine diablo so let's go to uh, one of your picks here. Another linebacker in Tennessee. Who do you got? So yeah, I've got uh, Aziz Alshair here. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll start by saying that I don't I don't necessarily think Alshair is a particularly special player. Um, you know, like like Diablo, um, or, or especially like Spillane, um, we talked about a moment ago. Uh, Alshair has deficiencies in in coverage, right? He 
um, hasn't shown us over the the course of his career yet that he can he can he can be that guy to uh, to effectively uh, to be a, a special a special player in coverage. But I'm mentioning him here over some of the other guys I, I had shortlisted, like uh, maybe trendier names, Brian Asamoah, Pete Werner, arguably better players, um, because those other guys have at least some semi-capable competition um, for their roles. You know, Al Shayan wasn't given big money, only a one-year deal. I think it was $4 million. Um, But in redraft formats, I think there's, there's just fewer variables um, with him than some of those other sexier names. So uh, let's look at the other Titans uh, linebackers on the roster. There's Monty Rice. Uh, I know he's, he's generating uh, some interest amongst the IDP community this season. Um, and he had a prominent role towards the end of the year once uh, David Long went down. But I can't, I can't see him earning an everyday role because, again, if Al Shair struggles in coverage, then Rice really does. He's more of a, uh, you know, a thump, a run stuffer. There's Jack Gibbons. He too had a bigger role in the absence of Long uh, at times last year. Um, actually, outsnapped Rice in the in the final uh, couple of games, um, or two of the final four games to be exact. Um, but I can't see him standing in Al Shire's way. And then there's Ben Neiman, formerly of the Chiefs. We know what he can bring to the table. It's not it's not a great deal, right? Um, now I think Rice and maybe one of the other two will have a role in that defense. And that was Shane Bowen, the the DC there, has shown a propensity to hand play in time to a to a second linebacker, albeit not a full time role. Um, but I think Al Shire gets the nod here. I think he's got a good chance to to put together a career year, perhaps even better than the year he had. Uh, when Dre Greenwald, Greenlaw went down for the 49ers um, in, I want to say, 2021. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of like him uh, in redraft, um, maybe not so much in Dynasty. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you for sure. I mean, like you said, that his best season was that 2021 season when Drake Greenlaw went down. So I think he just barely crossed over 100 tackles that year. Um, so there's there's plenty of room for him to kind of improve upon that and have like a true breakout season. Um, and then you mentioned some of the other tennis, Tennessee linebackers. I, I'm I'm with you. I think Al Shayer is the kind of clear starter amongst that group. I mean. You look at them and and how their defense was deployed last year. They were a top five team in the league in dime personnel last season as well. I, I'd expect Al Shahir to be the main guy to not kind of leave the field and probably be the only consistent and reliable weekly option for the Titans at linebacker if they continue to do that um, that deployment like that they did last season. I know. You know, people were excited about Monty Rice because of that. You know, strong production near the end of last year, but. Yeah, I'm with you. He's just not the kind of player you want maybe in an every down role for your defense if given the choice. So I think the Titans find a way to continue potentially deploying that high rate of dime personnel and then leave Al Shayer as the only kind of every down linebacker this season. So I'm I'm with you for sure. I do like uh, Al Shayer this year in Tennessee. All right, let's look at another linebacker here. So I'm going with Jamin Davis of the Washington Commanders. So most people know Jamin Davis. He was a first round pick in 2021, but he's mostly spent time behind Cole Holcomb as the team's secondary linebacker. Uh, last year, after Holcomb's injury in week seven, Davis did finally get a shot at a full time role. And I, I think, anyways, he was really, he really kind of flourished and, and showed signs of what made him a first round pick at the time. Uh, it did seem like, you know, 
previously davis wasn't truly able to get into the flow of the game by coming off the field at such a high rate as a rookie and and in the early part of last season while holcomb was in the lineup he did struggle significantly uh in coverage however once he got that full-time role he appeared much more comfortable and wound up with a top 20 coverage grade at the position of 78.3 uh which was from weeks 8 to 17 for linebackers that played at least 50% of the team's defensive snaps. So with Holcomb, you know, now off to Pittsburgh and the team really only added Cody Barton in free agency, Davis to me at least appears to kind of be that clear top guy in Washington's defense for the first time since he was drafted, really. So I I, I like his potential for an every down role in 2023. Um, he'll have a shot to be, you know, a consistent IDP asset that, that fantasy managers and especially dynasty managers have hoped that he could be uh since he was drafted in the first round a couple of years ago yeah I, i'm one of those people that went all in on davis early expecting him to uh to play uh more, more a bigger snap share than he and he did in those first couple of years so i had my uh my i was a bit burned by uh by davis uh, admittedly but yeah it's just it's a strong choice like you say it was it was all davis when uh when holcomb went down um about midway through the season started slowly but you know demonstrated improvement down the stretch which is always nice to see hopefully that carries over into 2023 he's got the consistency with jack del rio returning as the dc um and del rio had some encouraging things to say about davis uh earlier in the year talking about you know how he was able to put together more splash plays and this was after you know del rio's a pretty straight talker he talked um, pretty disparagingly about Davis uh, just last year, start of last year. So that was good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody Barton, he's a slight worry. He's He too, you know, played better towards the end of last year than he did earlier in the year. Uh, but I can't see him winning the, the job over Davis. Um, I'd be remiss not to mention the tackle efficiency. You know, Davis' tackle efficiency wasn't fantastic. It was pretty average. Um, but for fantasy purposes, we care more about, you know, snap share. Um yeah which, you know, as you quite rightly pointed out, is, uh, is working out in Davis's favor. It should be an every down guy, should be uh, should be a big performer this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the hope, right? And and we know tackle efficiency can can vary from from year to year as well, right? It, it's a little concerning when it's, you know, it's on the lower end, but um, you know, hopefully again, you know, with more experience, we've we've found that the linebackers do tend to perform better uh, over the years. They get better with with more snaps and and experience and and obviously the the first round draft capital the team has invested in him is crucial as well. So uh, hopefully, yeah, he can hold off Cody Barton. If not, then then there's bigger problems uh, for Jamin Davis. And yeah, we shouldn't trust him anymore. But um, the hope is that he he should continue uh, to be the top linebacker, or at least start the year as the top linebacker, that is, for the command the first time. So um, could be a fun one in Jamin Davis. And then uh, we'll add a bonus name here because, again, we'd be kind of remiss to exclude a, a fan favorite here at the linebacker position, um, and that is Nicobe Dean breaking out potentially for the Philadelphia Eagles this year. I mean, m- most fantasy managers understood that Dean's emergence as a starter um, and an IDP relevant asset would require patience for year one with, you know, the established veterans, TJ Edwards and, and Kaiser white locked into starting spots last year, but both Edwards and Kaiser white are both gone in free agency. Uh, so now we got this red shirt year of Nicobe Dean's kind of in the past, and he has a chance here to shine uh, in year two. 
He played just 47 defensive snaps last year. So not much to evaluate (laughs) for his time so far in the NFL, but as arguably the best player on Georgia's national championship winning defense in 2021. There's plenty of kind of encouraging college tape to get IDP managers excited about his potential. Um, We know Dean, you know, he posted an elite elite defensive grades across the board in 2021 at Georgia, including a 91.8 overall grade and a 90.4 coverage grade, which again, at the highest level in college are at least encouraging signs that he has the necessary skills to translate to the NFL Injury concerns dropped him to the third round, but all reports since he was drafted seem to indicate that he's fully healthy and ready to see more time on the field as an NFL starter. Um, he even played the 13th most special team snaps in the league last season, so uh, didn't hold him back from from playing there. So uh, at least looking for some other encouraging signs that he's healthy anyways. Um And then Nicholas Morrow was the only other real offseason addition to the Eagles linebacker core. So the competition, I think, for the primary starting spot should be between Dean and Mor- Morrow. Uh, early reports out of Eagles camp are that Dean is wearing the green dot on his helmet, so making him the defensive play caller on the field, which often goes hand-in-hand with an every-down role, so it provides at least a little bit of a hint that Dean is viewed as the team's primary linebacker and allow him to hopefully come off the field at a lower rate than Morrow, who is their other expected starter. So I I know a lot of people are in on N'Kobe Dean this year. This isn't like a, you know, a surprise pick by any means. So um, we do feel the same way, or at least I do anyways. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. You you covered most of the bases there, John, you know, uh, not just one guy ahead of him gone, but both of them, uh, you know, the high draft capital, the the green dot Eagles did, uh, did very little to uh, to bolster that position outside of Morrow, who uh, I've talked about on other pods. I don't think is uh, is, is anything special to write about. Um, you know, just a just a space filler for me. Um, the, you you covered the other points, the the concerns, perhaps uh, the reservations, the the small the small snap uh, share was that that snap snap volume for forty seven snaps, forty six snaps is 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 ridiculously small, pitifully small, right? So. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't know anything about what he's going to look like as an NFL linebacker, but you know, I I trust the uh, the NFL teams out there. They they know a lot more than we do. Uh, the Eagles clearly have faith in him. Uh, so um, yeah, again, going back to the point I made earlier about Davis, you should see a lot of snaps. Um, how well he plays, and unless it's an absolute disaster, I can't I can't see them pivoting to tomorrow or, or bringing in another veteran there's a couple of veterans lurking out there that um, you know could, could throw a spanner in the works for for dean and any one of the number of uh, these guys or linebackers and our lists but but yeah it, it should be dean all the way um he sat for his season hopefully it's not similar to what we see with rookie linebackers that come in and really struggle in coverage you mentioned his fantastic uh, coverage grade in college hopefully some of that at least uh transitions into the nfl Let's wait and see. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely one to to keep an eye on because I think people were really excited about him around draft time. They had him as like the rookie LB one prior to the draft and stuff, and um, very very exciting player, obviously. So he'll be he'll be a fun one to keep an eye on. Hopefully, he does stay healthy and we get a full season uh, of data points for him, which will be uh, fun to to comb over next off season. Yeah. Uh, so let's go away from the linebackers here. We, we covered, what, five linebackers to potentially break out. Um, I'm sure that other people have other ones that they like as well. But we're going to go to the safety position now. And who do you have as your top uh, safety breakout? So my top safety breakout is is Kyle Hamilton. 
Um, you know, he looked uh, he looked pretty damn special towards the end of the year. Really slow start. I left him kind of wondering what the hell was going on. Um, but yeah, he looked pretty pretty fantastic towards the the end of the year. PFF subscribers or will know this as well as any, and obviously Ravens fans, uh, it was it was it was blew across the board as uh, I think uh, uh, Josh and Josh and Adam covered on their pod. You know, for a guy who only played what 500, 550 snaps, he delivered a, a bunch of big plays too, a couple of sacks, forced fumble, five pass breakups, and that's and that's something he continued into the, the postseason as well, where he delivered another another forced fumble. I, I loved him coming out. And, you know, like many, I expect him to start a little faster. Um, but, yeah, he already established a sizable role towards the end of the year with both, uh, you know, Marcus Williams and Sharp Clark healthily. They had three three safety looks there for a while there. And now Clark, you know, who played every down all season, yeah. remarkable really, he's gone. It's not hard to see why, uh, you know, you and I and, uh, and others have Hamilton slotted as a, a top five safety going into 2023. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite ones for sure. Um, I mean, we highlighted him early, early, early this off season. I can't remember if it was with Evan or Jake in, in the, the, um, buy sell episodes. It was one of those beautiful minds. We talked about buying Kyle Hamilton, uh, in dynasty. Um, and, and I highlighted him in an article even before that and talked about Chuck Clark potentially being released or traded. Uh, it, it happened only a few weeks after that. So Chuck Clark is gone. Uh, like you said, he played a, over a thousand snaps. He played a ton, was was healthy the entire year, obviously. And then, then of course, he tears his ACL uh, this this offseason somehow. So, um, but yeah, you, you highlighted it, the versatility, the playmaking, all of that stuff, you know, the, the, the sacks, uh, forced fumbles, all of those things that, you know, he's able to do that build on more than just, you know, tackle numbers on, on a weekly basis and kind of raise that upside for him. Uh, it, it's going to be key, right? So, you know, if we're we're comparing him to like a Derwin James, he gets that comp a lot uh, out there, but the size, the tackling ability, the pass rush prowess, ability to make big plays, everything that IDP managers could want from the safety position, uh, it's just up to Hamilton really to make it all kind of come to fruition in 2023 now that he has that full-time workload um, and then absorbing Chuck Clark snaps is going to help a lot as well because Chuck Clark too played about 30% of his defensive snaps in the box uh, last season, which is key again for, for tackle efficiency for safeties. Uh, 73% of safeties who spent at least a third of their defensive snaps in the box last season posted above average tackle efficiency, which Hamilton has already shown that he's capable of without, uh, you know, get without getting those crucial snaps as a rookie. So really encouraging stuff there um, for Kyle Hamilton uh, going into year two. Uh, I can't wait. I, I I have him as a top five safety as well. So pretty excited. Yeah, that's a good nugget you had there about the uh, the box safeties. It's something that you know we all we all talk about. We all know uh, is true, but uh, to hear some hard facts about it is pretty pretty cool. Um, you know, I'd be. I'd be talking on Hamilton even if Clark was still there. Um, yeah. You know, as, as I said, he had that bigger role going into the last sort of five games. I think every every game uh, in each of those five games, he had an increasingly large snap share in the last five games of the Ravens season. So, uh, you know, we ended up in the sort of the nineties in terms of snap share, ninety percent plus. So, I I'd be talking them up even if Clark was there because, as I say, they found a way to put Clark Williams and Hamilton on the field at the same time. But with Clark gone, it's uh, it's Hamilton to the moon. 
For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would think that, yeah, he'd still have a big role, uh, even if Chuck Clark was there, whether he was playing in the slot or whether he was playing as a second linebacker with like Patrick Queen or somebody coming out in sub packages. I, I think it's going to be hard to keep him off the field for sure after what he showed last year. And um, and then, yeah, it just reminded me of something. I meant to actually tweet that stat out about the uh, the box safeties and the tackle efficiency. Um, so by the time you're hearing this, you'll I'll, I'll have tweeted it out uh, at some point so you could look at it a, a little bit more detail. Um, all right, let's go to uh, another safety. I got Ryan Neal of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So for me, at least, Neal kind of stepped up in, in, in a big way for the Seahawks last year after Jamal Adams uh, tore his quad and then Josh Jones came in for a little bit, couldn't really cut it as his replacement. It was it was then Neal who kind of stepped in and became the top safety in Seattle and, and became actually the highest graded safety in the league in 2022, which was pretty crazy. Um, he posted six pass breakups, an interception, a sack. You're in the second highest coverage grade as well for the position at 85.7, all on just over 700 defensive snaps. So Seahawks, they were they're obviously prepping for Jamal Adams' return at some point this season. They signed Julian Love. Uh, they let Neil depart in free agency to potentially uh, step up once again this time with the Buccaneers. So uh, Tampa Bay, uh, they also lost safeties this year. Um, they 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 had three safeties leave who totaled over 1800 defensive snaps between them in 2022 uh, between Mike Edwards, Keanu Neal and Logan Ryan, all leaving in free agency this off season. Um, so not only is there a significant need for a, a starting safety to play next to Antoine Winfield this season, but there could also potentially be more box snaps available for Neal to, to build on his tackle production. The Bucks were a top 10 team in the league last season in single high coverage rates, allowing one safety to play closer to the line of scrimmage. And with Winfield figuring to be one of the, the deeper safety uh, option of the two, given his skill set, I think Neil should get more of the ideal IDP alignments um, this season. So 2022 was great uh, for Neil. It didn't always translate to, to fantasy production. He ended the year with just 66 total tackles after just 10 games started, which likely had him finishing outside of like the top 50 scorers for his position in, in most IDP leagues. So I think coming in as the day one starter in Tampa Bay, combined with the potential to be the primary safety uh, to play maybe near the line of scrimmage. I think he should greatly outperform his, his strong 2022 season and then provide fantasy managers a good value as well relative to his cost in most drafts. Yeah, I I, I love to see, uh, I've got, again, a soft spot for undrafted free agents that establish themselves as sort of capable stars in the NFL. It's uh, it's just it's just, it's just wonderful to see, isn't it? Uh, and that, you know, that's exactly what Neil became, uh, you know, a capable star down the stretch last year after, you know, what was a slow start to his career again, understandable given he was a, you know, uh, an undrafted free agent. But, you know, in addition to his solid tackle efficiency, and it was solid, he demonstrated that a real knack for those big plays, you know, six pass breakups, a couple of force fumbles, and uh, also weighed in with a sack despite being rarely used as a, as a blitzer. Uh, as you pointed out, Mike Edwards is gone, Logan Ryan's gone, Ke Keanu Neal, if we're, if we're calling him a safety, he's... Uh, he's gone. Um, so there's no way of any note really behind Winfield and Neil. Um, you know, again, I, I challenge you this is if, if you're able to name uh, the, the backups to these two, then um, you, uh, you do it better than I could. Um, so yeah, I think Neil's in for a heavy, heavy, heavy workload, and that should be great for, 
IDP purposes, especially when used in the role that we talked about here. Um, you're right, John. It should be uh, it should be Winfield on the back end and Neil closer to the, uh, the line of scrimmage there, um, mixing that up and, and hopefully racking up huge tackle volume. Well, let's let's wait and see. I'm I'm yeah. I'm very optimistic. Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. He, he's he's uh, again a player that probably isn't going to cost you much in drafts at this point either. So it could be one of those really nice value picks as well. Um, but let's talk about another safety here, a favorite of mine. Uh, who did you put as your your next breakout here for uh, this episode? Okay, yeah, I'm going with, uh, with Kyle Duggar. Um, now, I was I was a bit premature on, on Duggar, and I think others might have been too, um, for reasons I'll get into. Um, he's a guy, you know, he's featured on these breakout lists many times uh, in the past, uh, pretty much every year. And, you know, he's been able to deliver at times. Uh, he's often fallen slightly short, sort of season-long expectations, largely due to the fact that the Patriots uh, involved up to four guys at the position sometimes. He's never had more than 750 snaps. He's never surpassed 90 combined tackles. Um, heading into 2023, one of those four guys I mentioned, uh, Devin McCourtney, is now uh, is now retired. And while the, the Patriots drafted a hybrid type in uh, in Mahapu in the third round, I, I don't see him hurting Douglas' uh, value much this year. Now, the only known quantities back there really for the Patriots are now uh, Duggar, uh, Adrian Phillips and Jabril Peppers. Um, Jalen Mills would obviously feature in some way, but the pecking order, and this is important, the pecking order has changed. Um, would you agree, John? Yeah, for sure. I, I like Duggar quite a bit this year. I, I put him um, on one of my lists as well. I, I put him as a bounce back. Um, so spoilers for, for next week as well. But I, I love his potential for this year. I mean, you look at, you know, it was it was definitely a down year last year. And, and part of that just can't be helped, right? He did have a, a limited role in a way relative to, to most safeties, right? So I, I like him quite a bit. I, I mean, He's consistently improved each NFL season as well. Like you said, Devin McCourty's gone, so there's an opportunity for potentially more snaps in in like a typical safety role as well to kind of fill out that every down role versus just playing that that box specialist position, which um, he's become known for contract year as well. So I think uh, I think that that kind of plays a factor into it as well. You know, in in player expectations um, and and players kind of delivering on those contract years i think he's one of those guys that i'd be betting on that's capable of of earning himself some money this season um especially after everything that he's shown so far in his career really good tackler as well because of those box snaps and then you combine that with potentially even more snaps um just spread out throughout the field uh, i i like this as being potentially yeah his his best season um of his career yeah yeah now i, d- I don't think i'd want it'd be foolish to predict the Patriots to abandon their approach to to involving you know three four sure. guys at the back end there and uh, for a start none of these guys is a true deep safety in the mold of uh, a McCourty um, but you know there's that sort of degree of uncertainty that brings to the table I guess yeah. I do like um, what, I, what I liked in, in particular was the back end of last year when Duggar averaged uh, you know an eighty eight percent snap share over the final eight games uh, out snapping Adrian Phillips over that period which was a, a reversal of what we saw in 2021 now I wouldn't again I wouldn't be massively surprised if things change going into next year but I think as I said before the pecking order's changed uh, and Dubbo's near the top if not at the top now so um I I like his chances to have a to have a bigger year than last year um I think it could be a career year yeah I think he's a pretty solid choice to break out if I do say so myself 
<laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I like I love Kyle Duggar. Um, consistently kind of ranking him fairly higher than than most people as well. So, um, yeah, hoping hoping for his best year so far. Uh, let's go to one more safety here. So, one guy that I chose was uh, Derek Forrest. So, another safety, uh, much like Ryan Neal, who kind of emerged as like an in-season waiver target last year, and then kind of greatly outperformed expectations. Um, but he didn't really get like a consistent every-down role until Week Ten. Uh, even you know, after posting, I think eighty-eight total tackles, I think there's still kind of room for him to to improve and 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 end up with a career year for IDP production um from a, a guy that was drafted I think a fifth round yeah it was a fifth round pick in 2021 uh Forrest he also came up with four interceptions last year which all came in games where he exceeded 90 95 percent of the team's defensive snaps which is important uh you know we got Cameron Curl there he, he figures to I think dominate the box snaps for the team similarly to last season he played 51 percent of his snaps in the box so Still an opportunity, I think, for Forrest to rotate down and share some of those duties and let him to continue to put up tackles at a high rate. We did see that a little bit last year uh, where Forrest averaged 33% of his snaps in the box while Cameron Curl was in the lineup. So uh, Curl still averaged a very high 50.3%. Um, the the That third, again, that third of defensive snaps obviously being key, as I mentioned earlier, to create that above average tackle efficiency for, for the position. And while the interceptions may be difficult to replicate, he's at least shown like a propensity for them, helping his upside to finish even higher than, um, you know, maybe into that top 20 IDPs at his position. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Forrest is a, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a favorite of mine again, to break out this year. He started, started kind of fast uh, with Curl out to start the year. Uh, and then he's like you said, his snap share dropped off until, uh, until week 10. But from there on out, I don't think he even missed a, a single snap. Um, you know, McCain, Bobby McCain is gone. And, you know, although McCain was a, a slot, a slot, to DB, um, I don't think that would really affect to Forrest much. Um, the only question mark for me is where they put, and I don't think this is a big worry, but where they put, uh, Jartavius Martin, um, mm -hmm. he's that sort of that hybrid, uh, DB that they drafted in the third, no second round, was the end of the second round, um, right. So yeah, I don't think it affects Forrest much, but I'm just I'm curious as to see what happens there. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, yeah, I was kind of viewing him as like a like a slot corner. Um, so I think he could potentially play that role a little bit more often. And then, um, yeah, you got obviously Derek Forrest, who who's and and Cameron Curl to to an extent to play more of the typical safety role. Um, but yeah, the way the way I was kind of projecting them, and and who knows if this ends up being the case, was yeah, Martin at the, in the slot, and then. Um, Curl and, and Forrest as the as the top two safeties. Yep, can see that happening. Can see that happening. All right, let's go to the edge position here. Um, and yeah, a per, another personal favorite you got here um, for me at least. Uh, who is your your edge rusher in Miami that you got as a breakup? Ah, uh, yeah. So Jalen Phillips. Uh, I kind of I did kind of tell you with this one as a as a breakout because uh, we've already seen him play really well last year, but mm -hmm. I still think he's flying under the radar a little bit. You know, he's going behind guys like uh, Kayvon Thibodeau in the IDP show best ball drafts. And I, wow. I don't really agree with uh, with that placement. I think that's pretty pretty crazy. I think maybe people's just excited about last year's draft still. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, F Phillips finished with, you know, nine sacks, 70 pressures, 53 
combined tackles. That's that's really solid production from a from a second year player, right? Um, but I think it's even more impressive when we when we start to put that into context. Um, you know, nineteen other edge rushers produced more sacks than Phillips last year, but only five guys produced more total pressures, which is uh, a metric that we care greatly about. And all five of those guys that finished ahead of him and the four behind him rushed the pass more often than uh, than Phillips did. His 14.6% pressure rate finished sixth amongst all edge rushers, just 0.3% behind the guy who placed one ahead of him on the list, Miles Garrett. And those 53 combined tackles ranked 10th amongst all edge rushers. Um, so yeah, looking forward to this year. He obviously has a new DC. I've read or heard somewhere else that Fangio likes to rotate his edge rushers. And, you know, yeah, almost all DCs like to rotate edge rushers to a point, but the question is really to to what extent. That's what that's what what matters here. And the last time we saw Fangio was in Denver in 2019, 2021 as a DC anyway. And in that time, obviously Von Miller had a huge role. He's a, a generational talent, so it's probably not the best comparison. But we saw some inferior talent in guys like Aaron Browning and Malik Reed and Jeremiah Ataochu. Probably butchered his name there. All logged uh, 80 percent plus snap shares on uh, a regular basis spells under Fangio and none of them came close to or come close to Phillips' ability for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, granted, the depth in Miami is a little better than what the Broncos had back then. Um, Chubb's there. He's obviously going to play a ton given what they pay to acquire him. I heard you talking about, uh, to Chubb, about Chubb on the uh, the pod you did with Tom last week. Agree with everything you guys said there. Uh, Alt was still kicking around uh, despite the huge drop-off we saw from him last week before the uh, the peck injury. Um, everyone else there is just just nothing special. So I think realistically, and uh, well, really hopefully, I think it's hopeful that Phillips' seventy-four percent snap share last year could increase. Um, mm -hmm. Whether you'll live in that sort of eighty-five to ninety percent range that we saw from him in the last month of last year kind of remains to be seen under the new DC. But it's it's well within his range of outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big Phillips fan. Um, one of the other points you mentioned with Tom was it was a really good one, uh, which was about how often Phillips dropped into coverage. Um, looked into it a bit more detail after hearing you talk about it, John, and he did so on eleven point seven percent of his snaps. That's a that's a huge number. Um, and again, talking about the new DC uh, Fangio, when when he was last uh, in charge of a defense, uh, the top defensive end or edge rusher who drops into coverage was Malik Reed, who did so only 5.2% of his snaps. So that gets me kind of really excited to see what Phillips can do when he's tasked with just getting after the QB more often. For sure. Yeah, and and like you said, like if he does see a snap increase overall, and then you combine, you know, about, you know, another 50 snaps rushing the passer where he hasn't, he doesn't need to drop into coverage as well. I mean, his potential, I think, to hit double digit sacks it should be a lock this year as long as he's healthy. Um, I, I absolutely love Jalen Phillips th this season. I think most people are, are tuned into his potential. Maybe not, like you said, some of the, the ADP is still a little questionable for him, um, but definitely still worth noting because he, he's a 
probably in the best spot, I think, to reach kind of new heights with his production. Uh, he did finish dead last in, in the sacks versus expected for the edge position uh, last year, minus 4.3, which is driven by his elite pass rush metrics and playing time, both of which are much more stable than those sack totals. So um, in 2021, we know who finished dead last in sacks versus expected. It was Max Crosby. Uh, he finished the year as the overall edge one in most leagues. So um, if not the overall IDP one, if your scoring is done correctly. So Crosby, he, he was a lock for me last year to finish top five at the position. I think I had him as edge four going into the year. I don't think Phillips is, is you know, maybe that much of a lock for top five, but it, it's fairly close. I, I don't think top 10 really should be an issue for him. Um, again, if he's healthy and, and for all the reasons you laid out, it was, uh, what did he have? 89.8 pass rush grades. So sixth uh, among all the edge defenders, elite numbers uh, across the board as a pass rusher. And then obviously the strong tackled numbers as well only help his case. So very, very excited about Jalen Phillips last year or this year. You'll find him um, in my top 10 rankings for sure. Yeah. I mean, were you, were you surprised to see how much of a jump he made from year one to year two? I mean, that's that's it's not unheard of, but it's it's yeah. rare, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that early on it was it was a little bit surprising because you know he had the sack numbers in year one, but he didn't necessarily have the pass rush metrics, which very similar to Max Crosby in a way, right? Um, because he did kind of the same thing for his first two seasons. But I, I love Jalen Phillips coming out. I thought, you know, Going into the draft, I, I was surprised that he wasn't like the consensus kind of edge one. Joey and I talked about it at the time as well. And I, I guess part of that was there was concern about his injuries and the concussions and stuff like that. But he just mm -hmm. clearly had everything going for him. He, he just had all the tools. He had a, a refined pass rush toolbox and, and everything coming out. And, and he was a good run defender, which he's already shown uh, in the NFL as well. But definitely surprised that he took a bigger jump um, from year one to two. I would have expected it more for maybe year two to three or or beyond that because that's typically been the case uh with edge defenders which we'll, we'll talk about in a second but yeah it was a little bit of a surprise for sure mm -hmm. you know he's, he's another guy as well who's talked about what what a fantastic offseason he's having which is right. again pinch of salt type stuff but <laughs> uh maybe maybe slightly more important fangio uh, has talked about you know uh how much he likes phillips uh and chubbs in fact work work ethic which was which was good to see um did it, it wasn't sort of he wasn't effusive with his praise, but it was, uh, it was, he was, he was positive nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to get the positive news, right? Like as long as we're not getting the negative stuff <laughs> out yeah. of the camp, I think, <laughs> I, I think, you know, we, we, we just kind of roll with it as it comes out, but it is still nice to hear. Um, yeah. all right, let's go to another edge defender, actually another edge drafted in the 2021 draft class, much like Jalen Phillips. So I went with Odafe Owe. So with the Baltimore Ravens, Owe really kind of stands out to me as a player that I think everyone is kind of sleeping on and, and underrating right now. I'm not totally sure why, because if it's the sack totals, I, I don't know, you know, how many more times we kind of have to go over this, but I figure people would would learn by now. Um, they don't matter. They're they're wildly unstable year to year. That finisher rate is not a thing if you do the research. They're are much more important metrics to rely on when assessing 
defensive lineman. And, and if you're looking at just sack totals, unfortunately, you are you're you're doing it wrong. It's going to put you behind the, the eight ball more often than not. So I, I do get that, you know, three sacks last year was really annoying and disappointing, but you kind of have to leave that in the past for the next season, or you know, it's how you miss out on, on a Max Crosby or Jalen Phillips, for example. But uh, of course, you know, OA, he didn't necessarily have the pass rush metrics that a Crosby and Phillips did or, or do or did, but he's also only played two seasons in the NFL. So I, I did send out a tweet last week sometime uh, looking at defensive line development and production as, as they go through the years. Uh, and in general, looking at edge defenders through the first two seasons uh, in the league, they're that's when they're the most underwhelming and those end up being kind of the least productive seasons for um, the first half of their careers, at least. So I put up a chart here on YouTube for those that, that are maybe listening here, but you see a pretty clear um, development from, from years one and two to years three and four years, five to six in those pass rush metrics, which also create uh, the sack totals. But when you add the caveat of first round edge defenders, which, which OA is, and and include those pass rush metrics they get even better as the years go on so there's still very clearly a below average rate in years one and two but if you look at owe specifically you know he's already kind of had above average pass rush ability looking at his win rate specifically of uh, 15.8 percent he, he's winning his reps at a high rate but they just haven't translated to pressures or sacks whether it's the ball getting out too quickly or, or him getting picked up by a secondary blocker or, or whatever but that win rate is important as his expect as is his expecting playing time because he should once again lead all eight ravens edge rushers and snaps as he did last year so those things you know combined with uh, those things combined will allow for an increase in pressures uh, and sacks but also tackles and, and tackles are a key part of a player's floor. And he was great in that regard last season. He posted plus 7.1 tackles over expected, uh, which ranked inside the top 20 at his position. For me, I, I just think, he, you know, as far as criminally undervalued players right now, he he's a big one for me. I've seen some, you know, kind of borderline disrespectful rankings of him this offseason. So I, I think people should be able to at least capitalize on this and, and get him at a great value as well. Because I do think he's a really good player, uh, you know, he, he, just because he hasn't shown, you know, the, the 80, 90 pass rush grades, things like that doesn't mean he can't get to that point. Um, the athleticism is off the charts as well, which is a key thing that I'll talk about uh, again a little bit later for guys that do have that athleticism, but maybe not refined pass rushers. They tend to develop a little bit later as well. So, I, I you know, I mentioned it in the tweet that I sent out as long as the the pass rush metrics for a player like this aren't abysmal in the first two years and you can expect similar playing time, you should absolutely expect the development in their pass rush metrics and their production as well. So um, OA stood out as the very clear kind of uh, poster boy for that, for that, uh, that product, that progression uh, that I was talking about. Interesting. You make, you make a strong case. Cause I, I was one of those people or I'm one of those people who, uh, probably behind the curve a little bit on uh, on OA, or at least uh, pretty much equal with consensus. Maybe um, sounds like you're you obviously uh, higher on him than than me. I was unsure what to make of uh, of OA at times last year. I didn't really see that that progression from year one to year two that I hoped to see um, because I didn't really like him coming out, and I kind of I kind of thought that going into year two, maybe I was a bit premature. Maybe I thought that he could 
take some uh, take some strides forward, but I didn't really see that. Um, and then towards the back end of the year, you know, he was playing a really healthy snapshot at the start of the year. Towards the back end of the year, less so, sharing with like three, four, five other guys. Um, I was optimistic, slightly optimistic going into this year. Um, not as much as you, um, because of the absence of uh, you know JPP and uh, and Houston. You know, a couple of a uh, couple of vets that they jettisoned from the roster there. Um, Almost a thousand snaps vacated at the position. Someone's got to inherit those, right? Um, and uh, obviously, Calais Campbell's gone up, although he was more of an interior guy at, uh, at that point in his career, and, uh, and we've seen in years past. Um, obviously, David Ajabo is going to inherit some of those snaps as well as OA. But um, yeah, that's what I like. Yeah, but as I say, what I didn't like, what I don't like, was the fact that I didn't really see that that improvement going into year two. Um, that I hope to see that gives me any optimism around uh, the fact that he could make make further improvement going into year three. But it's nice to hear about the win rate. I wasn't aware of that. So, yeah, good info. Yeah, it, it, he's a weird one, right? Because he's not – he doesn't necessarily stand out when you look at, like, the pass rush metrics, um, for example, right? Because some of these other guys really do, and they do show that improvement. But, see, I, I kind of clump, like, year one and two together for a, a, a lot of the times because they're – it's it, it just takes so long for defensive linemen to adjust to the NFL. One season typically isn't enough for for that that true breakout to kind of happen. So that that's kind of why I was looking at Owe more so this year than I would have like last year, for example. But yeah, if it doesn't work out, I mean, look, he, he doesn't cost much in, in drafts at all. I, I like like you said, I think a lot of people have a similar mindset. They've kind of written him off, but I, I'm not ready to do that just yet. I think, you know, there's there's still plenty to like about him. Um, and I do think, you know, that playing time shouldn't be a concern for this season, but we'll see uh, if he doesn't improve this year or if he falls, if he, if he you know, shows a, a decline this year, then that's a little bit more concerning. Um, but obviously, you know, talking about him the way, the way I did, I expect that that production and, and those metrics to improve this season. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, thinking back, I can't, I can't be surprised at the huge leap that Jaden Fence has made and then be disappointed with the, yeah, with the lack of a leap that uh, away has made. There's going to be some middle ground there. So yeah. yeah, I'm willing to, I'm willing to wait. I haven't yet written him off. I was just, just, Underwhelmed is sure. probably the best, the best, the best way to describe it. But I'm, I'm open-minded, so let's let's see what happens this year. Um, and even you know, even if you have a poor year this year, um, it's not the end of his career. So yeah, yeah, that's I think that's a fair way to look at it for sure. And it shouldn't be. Yeah, I don't. I think feeling over underwhelmed with it with his first two seasons is fair as well. So. Um, all right, let's go to another guy that I think a lot of people have um, also been underwhelmed with so far. Who do you got as your your next breakout uh, at the edge position? Yeah, I mean that's one that's one kind of kind of <laughs> ruffle some but ruffle some feathers. Um, no, I left. Uh, I'm talking about Chase Young. So I I left. Uh, I heard a collective groan there from your listeners, right? So I, I left Chase Young uh, out of my top ten IDPs when I was talking to. Uh, Sticky Z, Adam Zekas, uh, about the top 10 IDPs in the NFC East on the IDP action show last week. But and I stand by that. Um, but I looked through the list of possible breakouts at the position uh, for 2023, and I, I just couldn't make a reasonable argument for slotting any of the guys I had on my shortlist ahead of ahead of Young this year. Uh, for the record, my shortlist included uh, Charles Menehu, mm-hmm. looming suspension, Michael Hecht, again, uh, not a big enough sample size to really know what he is. 
Cameron Thomas, uh, who's got to share time with uh, BJ Ogilary, Sanders, and possibly Zayden Collins, if we if we're to believe the the, the hype about him moving to the edge. And then Okoronkwo, who uh, I've, I've cooled on a little bit since uh, the signing of uh, Zadarius Smith. So yeah. so we're with Young. Um, look, we know we know he's been a, a major disappointment uh, since he entered the league, despite that sort of promising rookie year. Um, injuries have undoubtedly uh, you know been a major factor in his story so far. But I'd be I'd be remiss not to mention he was disappointed even when healthy. Um, you know, to start twenty twenty one. Remember that that year with everyone's getting the uh, getting on the commanders about the fact they had such a good defensive line, um, but the two edge players weren't weren't quite delivering. Um, you know, the commanders know about his disappointing ways more than anybody, hence why they declined his fifth year option. But assuming he stays healthy, and I know that's a big big assumption, big if, right? Um, there's every chance that this year could be could be his best year. Um, He's got everything to prove in an attempt to try and rescue his career and, and prove to the commanders or his next team that he's worthy of that big fat contract uh, and, a, and a starring spot, I guess. Um, yep. it's, it's kind of, it's not accurate to say it's now or never for Young, um, but this year is is as pivotal for him as it is for you know any player I can think of really in the NFL. He's spoken positively about where he's at with his health, describing his sort of situation as night and day compared to where it was, uh, I think it was at this time last year. And Juan Rivera has also sounded, you know, encouraging. He said encouraging things about Young's chances this year, sort of likening what he could do to what Duran uh, Duran Payne did last year. Um, so, you know, again, we take this off-season tour with a pinch of salt, but we know all about Young's potential. That's never been in doubt. The the question was always and still remains: Can he put Can he put it all together? Can he deliver? Can he stay healthy? Potential aside, what I like about his situation over some of the other guys I mentioned earlier on in my shortlist is is his opportunity. And that's something I've talked about with pretty much every player on this list. So Montez Sweat's going to play a lot. The only other guy I can see on the roster that's going to eat into this snap share, into young snap share, is, is F.A. Abada, who I've obviously got a bit of a soft spot for, given his UK connections. Um, but I think in a, in a healthy contract year, Young has as good a chance as any to deliver his best season yet. And uh, I'm not 100% confident. Um, I'm not 100% confident about any of these guys, um, but I like his chances. That's where I'm at. Yeah, honestly, I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll take some of the the groans that they're that are targeted at you. Uh, I'll I'll help you out there because I, I kind of love it. I mean, I think this is another guy where the the hate has just kind of gone way too far um, for for Chase Young. I, I mean, I get it to an extent. You know, he has yet to live up to the hype of a, of a former second overall pick but injuries are they're a killer that to me it, you know it's hard to blame a guy that alone i don't think is enough to write the guy off in my opinion uh, and look last year he played 63 pass rush snaps that's it he, he shouldn't be judged on that small of a sample size it's ludicrous um that that's close to like what max crosby was doing in one game last season so you know if, if max crosby has one down game we're not going to shit on him or at least i'd hope not so uh instead you know you kind of look at those first two seasons where again you, you know he dealt with injuries in both of those seasons as well but he still posted above average win rates and pass rush grades in those seasons suffered the same kind of finishing issue that we talked about with owe so yeah i mean people hate chase young right now but again you know you know he, they're calling him you know overvalued a bust etc i'm kind of with you and i think that he could very well be a value if he stays healthy this season and like you said it, it's a big if 
or is it? We don't know. You know, is injury prone really a thing? Um, but he's probably, as far as guys that are good bets to finish inside the top 12 at their position who are currently being drafted, you know, or will be going dra- being drafted outside the top 24 at their position. I'd I'd bet on Chase Young to do that if he's if he's healthy. You know, you look at his his athleticism, the pass rush profile combined with again the playing time, like you said, an opportunity on an on what should be an elite defensive line. I'm in. I, I I'm not ready to give up on Chase Young just yet. I, I think there's I think it's fair that you know he could um, very well improve this season and and start to show you know, all the hype that he was um, <laughs> generating early in his career, maybe not all of it, but at least show some of it to give people hope again. And and it, it's just, it's just going to come down to getting healthy. Um, if he doesn't miss much time this year, that'll be the main thing. And, and then people will start to, to start to warm on him a little bit more, but get on it early. It's okay to bet on him now that he's going to be outside of the top 20, 24 in, in, at, at his position in drafts because he's got the high upside if things go well. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think you could acquire young for at the moment in uh, in redraft? And the same question in from Dynasty. I mean, I, I think you could get him pretty cheap. Depends on what the owner's perception of him is like always, but yeah, I yeah. Mean, his, his value has come right down. Yeah, that's the thing. Like for Dynasty, you know, I've sent out trades for him before as like, you know, I'll send out like a package of players, typically um, guys that are, you know, getting at least some hype on on offense this season that aren't, you know, necessarily like top 24 wide receivers or anything, but they're close to that range. Plus, you know, another DB or something like that, that I I don't give a shit to move off of Um, just to see kind of where people are at. We're at, we're not the non paying attention portion of the off season where most fantasy managers don't even respond to trades. So I found that I'm not getting <laughs> a ton of responses there. So I, I'm not getting a rejection or, or an accept on, on the trades, but that's um, the, that's the job. That's the John McAfee factor built in. Everyone knows in your leagues that you know what you're talking about. And if you like a guy, that's got to be a reason. <laughs> it does happen quite a bit, actually. It's it's kind of sad. I, I I tend to not be able to make trades for defensive players at all. Um, at and also because you share your views on these guys, they everyone knows what your uh, what your honest opinion is. So uh, yeah, they listen to your they listen to your shows and they're like, right, I'm not selling that to John. No. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, yeah, I, I could try to sneak a couple in throughout this throughout the off season, but it's hard. It's hard to make a trade um, for for me, anyways. I've I've found, but. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll keep trying for Chase Young because I do. I'm, I'm with you. I think there there's a potential to buy low there if somebody's ready to give up on them and and is feeling that that level of hate that so many of of IDP managers are seeming to feel. Um, I'm I'm noticing it more maybe for for redraft where people are just completely ignoring him more so than dynasty because in rookie drafts you typically spent like a maybe a late first on him to to acquire him at the very least an early second so. Um, it, it's a little bit harder to get dynasty managers to move off of him, but in redraft, I think it'd be fairly easy to, to acquire him at a, at a value in drafts. All right, let's go to uh, another edge rusher here. So another one of those guys, since we're, we're into those, you know, 2020, 2021 draft class guys, uh, I'm going with Quiddy pay. So 
pay another one of my guys that might be a favorite target again nobody's really uh paying attention to um because you know six sacks last season uh and just four as a rookie so relatively quiet start to his career for for a former first round pick um but again we're going to keep hammering away at this here because that production is literally right on par uh with what to expect from from even first round edge defenders in their nfl's uh careers through the first two seasons so especially you know i i hinted at it earlier but for a guy like pay who has that elite athleticism that pushed him into that first round really helped his draft capital these are the guys who we we typically see take a little bit longer to develop a la, a, like a rashawn gary uh potentially a trayvon walker in the next year or two once they combine that athleticism and pass rush prowess at the next level that's where we might just start to see some real returns from these guys as far as production goes so the, the the signs are there when you dig into it a little bit more with him um the win rate has been strong so right on par with kind of the first and second year edge defenders at 11.6 percent pressure rate slightly below average at 10.2 percent but i think there there is a more important piece to that as well which is you know a, he has a low rate of cleanup and unblocked pressures which was just uh 26 and a half percent of his total pressures last year so well below average for the position and actually a top 10 mark for the position last season so this kind of tells me three things um one is that he isn't getting those kind of longer drawn out plays that create late pressures and, and add to his pressure total um Two is that he isn't getting around. He's, he isn't getting the help around him to kind of flush some of the, the, the flush the quarterback in his direction for those additional cleanup pressures. Uh, and three is that his pressures are earned at a higher rate than the average edge rusher as well, making his wins cleaner, less reliant on on other, on others, which is a better sign for for long term um stability as well for for pressure rate so you know you look at him compared to a guy like sam hubbard for example last season sam sam hubbard had 51 total pressures but 62.7 percent of his pressures came from him either being unblocked or cleaning up someone else's initial pressure so uh, a dj Reg dj reader for example uh spoilers for for another player listed here in a bit uh and trey hendrickson uh, are, are the two guys that come to mind who were both well below average uh, in cleanup and unblocked pressures for their position, by the way. So uh, again, you got to take all this kind of stuff into consideration along with, you know, his high end playing time, which I think he can also rack up tackles as, as, as the Colts top edge this season. I, I'd expect a much better year from pay in 2023 when you also include kind of that natural development for the edge position. So I'm pretty excited about Quiddy pay this season. Um, again, not a guy that's going to cost a lot uh, in drafts, but someone that I like to scoop up a little bit later. Yeah. I mean, you, you covered the, uh, you covered most bases there with, uh, with pay. Um, the, the, the tackle volume, I, was, I, I liked to see that increase uh, last year quite, quite significantly despite playing fewer snaps, uh, which, was, which was good to see. Um, are you or how concerned are you with uh, Ebucamp coming in or does the, the departure of Ngakwe offset that for you? Yeah, that's kind of the way I was looking at it, right? I think Ebucam could be a, a good starter uh, on the opposite end uh, of Quiddy Payne. I think, you know, for me, he might profile a little bit more as like a pass rush specialist in that kind of Ngakwe role. So I wouldn't worry about him kind of eating into maybe pays like early down snaps or, or run defense snaps. And I, I think there's still an opportunity there for pay to potentially produce um, 
you know, that the, the tackle numbers and, and then obviously the, the pass rush numbers as well. So um, wasn't too concerned about Abu Cam. Okay. Because uh, obviously Odi Yingbo is going to be playing a, a role as sure. well. He had a fairly, a fairly healthy snap share towards the, the end of the year. But, um, you know, maybe we are in that in that sort of situation now with, with some of these guys where we have to accept that there's there's not going to be two yeah. two clear starters all the time, and if the if 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 they run three D, that's that's perfectly acceptable. That becomes the new norm. Yeah, yeah, and I think we're like for where he's going in, in drafts. Typically, you know, outside the top twenty four, so you kind of run out of those like true like every down uh, edge rushers anyway. So you're getting him amongst a group where he could potentially be playing more um, than the average guy in that range. So uh, that that that's kind of factored into it as well for me right right yeah i like it I like the choice all right let's go to let's go to the defensive tackle position so we mentioned him uh just a few minutes ago uh who would be your top breakout for uh the interior of the defensive line okay yeah um so this is this is if if the if the young pick didn't didn't ruffle feathers and this one <laughs> might do but this is the least just for listeners this is the least sexy pick of my breakouts so far i admit it um it's DJ Reader in uh, in Cincinnati. Um, now you know, like I say, it's it's not a trendy pick, and I I do feel like he's he's flown under the radar in in IDP circles. The main reason for that, I think, is that he's just not a he's not a flashy player. He's never been particularly special as a pass rusher, and while his run defense has always been very good, he's always been one of those guys that's just more valuable to his NFL team than he is uh, to us in uh, in fantasy. Uh, with that said, I think he has demonstrated some progression as a, a pass musher in, in recent years. Uh, and I, just, I think there's a good chance we'd be talking about him a little more if he hadn't missed significant time in the last two, three years, 19, 19 games over that period. In 2022, is 10% pressure rate tied for 13th amongst 106 interior defensive linemen who played at least 350 snaps. And that was just 0.1% behind Aaron Donald. Well, no, again, didn't have his best year, but even so, it's good, it's good company. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look, he's never going to be the kind of player to put up double-digit sacks. He's, it's just not who he is. Uh, we're far more likely to find the next DT1 in the current crop of uh, rookies. I think, you know, Jalen Carter, maybe Khalid Jacansi. Um, But Rhea is a guy who's made uh, strides uh, in terms of uh, being able to pressure the quarterback. And I think, um, again, I'd be remiss not to mention his tackle volume, 50, 50 combined tackles in his last uh, full season in the league. Uh I think that's, that's that's quite nice. I think at what's a you know really a really thin position in IDP, uh, and assuming Reader can stay healthy, um, you could do a lot worse than, than take a dart throw on him as a DT two, maybe a DT three in deeper leagues, and just cross your fingers that he can stay on the field. Health permitting, I think he's got a pretty good chance to put up a career year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's another kind of perfect example of maybe people getting too invested in last year's sack totals. Obviously, he had zero last year, but, uh, you know, career high pass rush grade 84.3 across just 10 games. Um, He was dominant across the board. He had an 87.3 overall grade, which was the sixth best among uh, interior defenders. I, I, I think he is a very undervalued asset right now and absolutely someone who could pop off this year and, and give people kind of a fantastic boost at the, at the DT position. Um, again, you know, looking at some of those high end wins we mentioned, uh, or I mentioned that the, the low cleanup and unblocked pressure rates uh, just a few minutes ago, those types of wins are, are going to lead to production more often than not. Sometimes, 
it just takes a year to come to fruition, right? So uh, I'm with you. I'm totally down for for DJ Reader as like a high end, even uh, even a high end DT two this season. Uh, I think he has that potential in him. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know he's he, he costs nothing. Yeah, uh, another another one of those guys that's going to cost you nothing. He's yeah. probably on waivers in most needs. So um, very possible. Yeah. Okay, who's All next? Right. All right, I got another defensive tackle here. So I went with Christian Barmore and of the New England Patriots. And and again, I, I'm pretty sure I put Barmore on this list last year, but um, because it didn't go exactly the way I want it to, thanks to injuries, I, I'm, I'm doubling down here. I, I make the rules. I'm, I'm allowed to repeat names if, <laughs> if I please. Um, but so last year, I, I would have almost assuredly mentioned that that Barmore is you know, in his rookie season posted the second most total pressures from a defensive interior player since 2006 uh, with 48, even more than Aaron Donald as a rookie second only to Leonard Williams. So the, the big crazy. thing, yeah, it's nuts. He even had a better pressure rate than, than Aaron Donald in, in that time as well, or as a rookie as well, which is crazy. So, um, you know, you look at, look at Barmore and the, the big thing for me last year and, and you know, heading into last year and still is this year is a combination of the playing time and the pass rush, pass rush metrics, much like a lot of the names on this list. But um, last year, he only played 10 games due to injury. So we didn't get that big snap uh, and production increase that I was hoping for, obviously. Uh, However, his snaps on a per game basis essentially stayed the same but he improved in key areas, including his overall grade. His tackling grade saw a big bump because he didn't miss a single tackle, uh, going from a 54 grade to a 77.4 grade. Um, And then he even increased his pass rush grade, going from a 75.5 as a rookie to an 80.4 last year, which was a top 10 mark at the position. He also kept those cleanup pressures to a minimum at just under 22%. Uh, as well, which is also below average. Um, the problem was just two and a half sacks. So, okay, uh, not not great. Obviously, again, we're we're not looking at last year's sack totals anymore. Hopefully, everyone is keyed into that by this point in the pod. Uh, and instead, we're trying to predict you know improvements in that production by looking at some of the key underlying metrics, which is how we should be coming up with more breakouts at the defensive line uh, position. And Barmore, I think for me, checks all the right boxes for increased sack production. He had a 10.4% pressure rate, which is good for 15th best at the position last year, 17.1% win rate, which was good for sixth best last year. And of course the 80.4 pass rush grade, which ranked eighth uh, last year. So big play DT required leagues should absolutely be valuing Barmore amongst the top 12 15 players at his position uh going into this season with it with a chance to potentially even outperform that capital once those sacks do start to hit so i'm still very much in on barmore breakout season after i it got kind of put on hold last year thanks to the injuries yeah i, I really like barmore as a player too i've been on board since i uh, saw what he did in his in his rookie year uh like you say obviously missed a lot of time last year but you know he was an impact pass rusher when when healthy always generates good volume. Like you said, his sack numbers are yet to catch up um, with with that or in that sense. Um, but we know there's a good chance that will change if he can continue to bring pressure at uh, similar rates going forward. The only thing that gives me pause for thought where Barmore's concerned is the playing time even when when healthy. Um, is he ever going to put up, sorry, is he ever going to generate this uh, sort of the same sort of snap share or, or earn the same snap share, if you like, um, as those guys above him on that list, uh, John, the, the Chris Jones, the, 
the Jeffrey Simmons, the Dexter Lawrences. I, I can't imagine, um, and under the current scheme at least, Barmore ever, ever, ever earning a, a snap share enough to really vault him into that top tier. Maybe that's not what, maybe I need to just adjust my expectations a little bit and accept that, you know, a fringe DT1 season is fantastic, really, um, and can, can be very valuable on, on fancy rosters. But it's the, it's the snap share when healthy that, that concerns me. Um, yeah. ro- rotating with guys like uh, Devon Godshow and Lawrence Guy, and there's one other chap uh, who I didn't even realize he was rotating with until I looked it up um, a few weeks ago. That's my only concern. Not him as a player, but the scheme that he's in and will he earn, will he earn sufficient snap share to really vault him into that top tier? I, I think he's got the talent and it's frustrating. Um, but yeah, will he, will he get there because he plays so so few snaps compared to those really high-end DT ones? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? It, it's, it's, a fair, it's a fair concern because he doesn't really play like the early downs. He's, he's been kind of used as more like a passing down um, defensive interior player. So he might not have the tackle floor. Um, it, actually kind of similar to like a Chris Jones, kind of a Chris Jones light or somebody that I kind of project him uh, to develop similarly to is Chris Jones because Chris Jones also kind of not very good at run defense that didn't get a lot of those snaps early on. So could potentially get there that that's kind of the hope but it's absolutely a fair concern because he right now he hasn't got it and if belichick doesn't view him as that guy he's not going to be he's not going to try to force him into that role either right so that that's kind of why you know I, i do mention like the big play type leagues because i think for um for somebody like Barmore, that's where he's going to be more valuable. He's not necessarily going to provide a good weekly floor because he might not get the tackles, but he has the chance at least for more of the, the sack upside, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a small concern. You know, yeah. I'll say that. Um, I, I, I lost him in quite a lot of places. I've got quite a lot of exposure to to Barmore. Um, and I'm just, I'm waiting for him to, uh, to as I say, um, create, create uh, a higher rate of sacks given the pressures he's bringing. I hope he doesn't turn into a, what you know, kind of a Kenny Clark light of late. Right. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. That's that's uh, a bit of an anomaly, a uh, bit of an exception to the rule. So, uh, but yeah, I, I really like Barmore. That's um, that's just my only small concern was the was the snap share uh, relative to the guys that are above him. I think he's got the talent. Um, yeah. I just want, I, I'm de- desperate to see him play more. That's really what it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he he might not, at least not in New England, right? Um, because of the way that they like to rotate there. But so yeah, very very fair concern um, with Christian Barmore. For me, it's just the hope that we start to get better sack production, which will help kind of level things out a little bit. Um, yeah. Because yeah, two and a half sacks obviously is not going to make it worth it for anybody to invest in him. But um, you know, if he starts to get into that five six sack range, that's where we might start to find a lot more value uh out of yeah. that um out of that player so hey don't don't feel bad about uh that suggesting a two and a half site i had dj reader right. no no, <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> looking better than me yeah oh, man. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's go on to our last position group here. Like I said, we even have corners to top, talk about. We got one each. Uh, Jace, who is your uh, breakout corner? Yeah, so I know, predicting cornerback <laughs> production in IDP can be can be can be a lot of fun, right? It's a bit of a crapshoot. But you know, with that said, I think uh, there's a lot to like about this guy. I've gone with uh, with Fred McDuffie. Um, I think there's a lot to like about him heading into 2023. He's, you know, he, huff, he suffered that hamstring uh, injury early last year. It's kind of slowed 
his starts in the year, but he never looked back once he uh, once he returned, um, playing a, a sort of near every down role for the Chiefs after their their bye at, in Week Eight. Um, we all saw what the Jerry Sneak could do in the slot role. Um, the Sneak seems moved back to outside corner. Uh, for the final three or four regular season games. And it was McDuffie who uh, replaced Sneed in the slot. Um, and in fact, for two of their postseason games as well. Um, and it was no surprise that his tackle rate improved significantly as soon as he moves into that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, did about 36 tackles over that period of time. Uh, an average of you know six tackles a game. Pretty good for a corner. Um, he also managed three of his six pass breakups in that role. And he even forced a couple of fumbles. Um, these are these are impressive numbers for sure, right? Um, I know it's a small sample size, um, and we'll clearly need to keep an eye on McDuffie's usage uh, and role early into next season uh, to see whether that continues. Because there was one game in the postseason where they switched it back up again uh, and put Sneed back in the slot, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming that was a matchup thing um, because uh, once again they went back to McDuffie again the game after. So I'm encouraged for what we saw. Uh, from Sneed in that role. I think everyone's gone crazy for Sneed uh, this year. And I think McDuffie has a chance to at least replicate some of that going into next year if he if he can keep that role. At worst, you've still got a, you know, a, a high draft capital cornerback who's going to play 100% of snaps on your roster. At best, as I say, could inherit some of, uh, some of Sneed's lucky charm. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we we saw, like you said, what Legereus Sneed did last year. He was incredibly effective uh, as an IDP corner. Um, but yeah, his role or, you know, his production, a lot of that had to do with because of the role that he played in that Chiefs defense. It was a significant part of it, at least. So playing from the slot, lining up closer to the action um, and, and in the box at times, while also given that kind of opportunity to blitz and, and create those big plays. So um, I think the idea you know, around McDuffie kind of coming out of the the slot during that one game that you mentioned, it did probably had to do more with matchups, right? Getting Sneed on the, the better opposing wide receivers and, and keeping the rookie from, from getting exposed basically. Cause yeah, once we, once they started to lean into that uh, in the, the later part of the year, um, McDuffie did see a significant increase in his production. So again, for the YouTube crowd, I've kind of laid it out a little bit here, but um more more snaps in the slot rushing the passer for mcduffie in the second season i think is going to help raise his tackle floor and that big play upside on a weekly basis like you said um unfortunately i think legeria sneed he's likely going to be the first corner drafted in idp leagues this year i i mean all i could tell you is don't freaking do it i uh, do not be the person in your league who drafts the first corner off the board that that repeat rate is next to impossible and the value is just not worth it. It's the same thing when people tell you don't spend your early pick on, on Derwin James or whoever from the safety position, don't do it. And, and, and at least, you know, for Derwin James, he's shown the ability to repeat, which is, you know, why he's the goat, but um, there, there's still just too much value to be had. at such a volatile position. It, it, it isn't worth passing on more, val- more valuable positions um, for fantasy to grab a defensive back, especially a corner. Don't draft Legereus Steed. Take the shot on Trent McDuffie later and then hope that it works out. So, you know, thank you for coming yeah. to my, my brief TED talk here. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, on, the, on that point, yeah, about, about drafting so early, those, those uh, uh, best ball uh, drafts from the IDP show. Just looked it up quickly to see. I was intrigued to see where uh, 
see where Sneed was going relative to some of the some of the other guys and a couple of the guys that we talked about on here. So uh, Janine Davis, Divine Diablo, always already all all two or both of those are going behind Sneed uh, in those drafts as far as their ADP is concerned. That's that's crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, that that's just not spending you know your assets properly in my opinion i think you know you just you just pass let somebody else do it but just don't be the guy to do it when there's like you said every down linebackers available um potentially you know some of these breakout edges as well um all of those are more valuable if they hit than the, than a cornerback um in like the ninth round or whatever it happens to be that you spent a pick on him yeah um, i can see i can see that's tempting you know you look at the, yeah. the fantasy scoring finishes for last year and you see these corners up there well you know alongside the likes of linebackers, safeties, DTs, DEs in these leagues. But it's about, like you said, their ability to reproduce that sort of scoring next year. Uh, You'll you'll invariably see very few of the same cornerbacks in that top 10 list year, year on year. Yeah, it, it's the same trend every year, right? It was Trayvon Diggs last year. It was Kenny Moore the year before. It was Marlon Humphrey the year before that, right? These guys just don't repeat. They they can be good, but they're just not repeating as the top, you know, top twelve corner that you're hoping them to be because a lot of it is built on like unstable big plays for the cornerback position. So um, that that's where we have to try to avoid some of those those missteps and drafts and hopefully recoup um, some of the value by by addressing more valuable positions, but. Um, anyway, speaking, speaking of corners, a, a guy that maybe you could target instead of a luxurious need a lot later, um, is Nate Hobbs, uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders. So, you know, I mentioned the volatility of the cornerback position for IDP purposes. I think finding, you know, consistency in tackle production can go a long way to creating maybe a weekly edge against your league mates, depending on, on, on those unstable big plays. So, Hobbs, for me, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, was one of the more consistent tacklers at the position last season. Unfortunately, he only appeared in 11 games in 2022, um, but he still found a way to produce 72 total tackles. Uh, he he managed to hit at least five tackles in seven of his 11 games in 2022, which is an impressive feat for a cornerback when you consider that the average total tackles per game for the position is under four. Um and then after spending, you know, the large majority of his rookie season as like a slot only corner, he also showed off his versatility by lining up wide and in the slot in 2022. So he provided value to a key position of need for the Las Vegas defense. The Raiders did add four new cornerbacks to their roster this offseason, but, you know, looking at it, Hobbs is arguably still one of the better options. So his role should be safe. I think whether they want to use him in the slot or out wide again, he'll have a place um, in the starting lineup, I think as long as he's healthy, um, he was also the most effective corner in the league in producing tackles over expected last season. So, if he can continue to do that while being on the right side of variance when when it comes to big plays, I think he has the potential um, to be even the you know the overall CB one for IDP leagues this season. If we're looking for that um, big of an upside, I think he's one of the guys that that has it for me again, assuming health uh, and a full time role. Yeah, yeah. So the Hobbs was a, a hot name after his impressive rookie year. Um, you know, as a as a fancy as a fancy manager who had plenty of uh, plenty of Hobbs rostered on uh, in fantasy leagues, I was I was feeling pretty smug. Um, and as a as a Chargers fan, I was feeling pretty jealous. So I had that there was that conflict going on. Um, you know, he did take a step back last year when healthy in coverage, but like you say, that that tackle volume, that tackle efficiency was was fantastic, you know, at a position where it's really hard to find that. So, so yeah, 
again, you covered the other point. They did bring a bunch of corners in. Um, David Long Jr., Duke Shelley, forget the other two. They're that insignificant. I can't see any of them posing much of a danger to to Hobbs going into uh, his third year, um, unless last year was a sign of things to come, in which case we could be we could be looking at this uh, next year and thinking, you know, what what were we thinking? So, yeah, I, I think he's a, a show-in to at least start the year. And I think... Um, I think he will keep his role, um, and I think he will have a good yearly finish. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he has a chance to kind of go back to that slot role too, um, which we saw as a rookie, right? You look at Duke Shelley and and David Long, they potentially play more on the outside um, there in Las Vegas. So I I think there's at least a chance that um, the Raiders view him or like him more in the slot like they did uh, as a rookie. And and that was, you know, again, like you said, the better year for him uh, coverage-wise as well. So um, that that, that would help his production uh, also. For sure. All right. Well, there we have it. Um, it was a big one today. Lots of players to talk about. Uh, you know, what do we cover? Almost 20 different IDPs. Uh, I think it was 17 total. So lots of good info uh, there for the people to consider now that we're, we're getting into fantasy draft season. So hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, a huge thank you to Jace for coming on here with me and, and smashing all of his breakout picks for the season. Jace, I, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. No, no, thanks. Thanks to you. It's, uh, you know, it's always awesome to come on here and, and cut it up with you, John. Um, you know, as, as I said earlier on, I love Big Nick, although it's just, it's pretty cool to be a part of it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Um, and ag- again, before you go, please uh, remind the folks uh, where they could find you and your work. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jace Abbey. Uh, and my work, um, I'm kind of thinly spread. I'm very, very busy this season. I've got, uh, I'm obviously co-hosting the IDP After Show, uh, which has already got off to a fast start uh, in recent months. Um, I, in season, I'm going to have some uh, some redraft uh, weekly ranks uh, with the IDP show as well. Uh, I'll continue having some dynasty ranks and articles over with DLF, and I'll be getting up to some sort of mischief with the IDP guys again, although I'm not entirely sure what. Nice. Sounds good, man. Yeah, definitely make sure you're following Jace uh, at Jace Abbey on the Twitter. And yeah, definitely check out his work and and then on the IDP after show as well. Um, As for me, all all my written work can be found on pff.com, which includes full write-ups on all my breakout candidates across all positions in fantasy football. So that's going to include quarterbacks, running backs, uh, linebackers, wide receivers, tight ends, and defensive backs, which will all be out by the end of this week followed by the defensive linemen uh, next week. So uh, a reminder as well, um, you know, if you do want to hear me talk offensive fantasy football, for some reason, you can catch me on the PFF Fantasy Podcast with Nathan Yonke, uh, where we also have a brand new YouTube channel so that I would greatly appreciate if you could subscribe to that over there as well. Um, and then, of course, I'm here in the IDP show feed every other week talking IDPs, uh, which includes next week episode where the great dynasty trip and i are going to talk about our favorite 2023 bounce back candidates that should be a lot of fun as well so until then idp said